Hey y'all, Alex Barinka here, head of external affairs at Verishop and host of Finding Inspo, the first shoppable podcast where we'll bring you the stories of some of the biggest names in style and design, digging deep into how they've turned inspiration into successful businesses. And each week, my guests and I curate the Finding Inspo shop at verishop.com slash inspo with the products that are the end result of all that creative energy. As you'll soon hear, my guest today has no shortage of energy. Tony Malilo is founder and creative director of ATM Anthony Thomas Malilo, a company he started with one goal, create the perfect t-shirt. It's an ambition that's infinitely more difficult because of its simplicity, leaving nowhere for mistakes to hide. With a trained eye for detail and appreciation for designer fashion, he's taken the humble t-shirt and made a relaxed elegance loved by celebrities from Dakota Johnson to Zach Efron. Tony found fashion straight out of high school, fleeing to New York to get out of his hometown. And when you hear about his years of experience and a prestigious CFDA award nomination that Tony accumulated before rethinking that often overlooked garment, I think you'll finally agree that his tees are not to be underestimated. Well, I actually took an internship, which wasn't a real internship, but there was a designer at the time called Willie Smith, Mm -hmm. and he'd asked me to come work for him, and it was in the PR department. Um, And he's now no longer with us, he's deceased, but he was a really cool urban designer. Um, And the internship was not paid, but it was my way out of Pennsylvania. So I told my parents, listen, I have this internship, I'm gonna go do it, Um, and it got me here. I spent the summer doing that in PR, which was more or less, really just getting everyone that worked there into different clubs. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really, I was 85, so it was kind of fun to go out. I what were what were the clubs? What area. was the top three area? Yeah, I remember area was definitely the bigger one. And then Palladium came around, and it was after Studio 54, so it was kind of the second round, but um, it was still very fun. So when you were first coming to New York, you're 19, you had this internship, you're getting to the clubs. What was your style aesthetic like then? My style was, you know what, I was very good at picking up what I thought worked, putting it together a little better than maybe everyone else. But coming to New York, you kind of look around. That's my big thing. I like to look around and then pick and choose from other things. It's not necessarily the exact look. I like to say, oh, I like the way that pan is cuffed, or I like the color of that. We're all kind of borrowing from others until we find our own kind of... Yeah, aesthetic. I mean, I truly borrow constantly. I mean, I, it could be the worst dressed person, but there's something about what they're wearing that looks great. And it could, or it could be this, the sneaker, or it could be you know, the flare on the pant that's really a bad pant, but the flare on the pant. You know, so I'm always, my eyes are constantly looking at things, not whole things. Mm-hmm. So I kind of dissect that way. Um, but to go back to the 19-year-old starting at in, an internship at Willie Wear, what the, the best part of that was I was able to be exposed to different people. So as a PR person, you're meeting a lot of editors. And that's where I met the woman that I worked for at American Vogue. Her name was Jenny Capitain. And she at the time was uh, an editor at American Vogue. She was a German lady who was also one of Helmut Newton's models mm-hmm. um, prior to being an editor. She came in. We had an appointment where I showed her the line. She needed an assistant come September, so I became her assistant for two years. I worked with her, actually for like a year and a half, and learned the ins and outs of 
the styling world. Why were you willing to jump to that job? Why was that appealing? You know, I knew an internship was only going to be a few months, and then I knew the other option would be to go back to Pennsylvania. So I wasn't really interested in that. Um, I, that, that meant not finishing school, never got a degree. Um, but I was like, you know, I have no real understanding what this degree is going to do for me anyway. <laughs> what was the degree? Communications. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and perhaps if I was more scholarly, it would be an amazing education. Because I don't fault the education thing, it just wasn't my thing. So I left and I came to New York. I worked for her full time. She was kind of a nightmare woman. Um, <laughs> Why? She's just very... Um, not understanding. Mm -hmm. And for me, from Pennsylvania, there were a lot of things that I didn't really know yet. It was a world of fashion that certainly was very new to me, totally willing and, and, and excited to learn, but totally new. So everything I did was wrong. You know, it was never <laughs> anything right. And she was very vocal about that. Cut to, I decided to leave America, actually, and I loved working for magazines, so I went to Condé Nast in Italy, okay. and I spent two years there. And I actually wound up hustling, got myself into Condé Nast just because I had worked there in New York, and, and got a job at Italian Condé Nast working for, at the time, it was a magazine called Vanity. And it's way, way back, but it's a lot of people involved that were pretty important. Um, there was a woman named Anna Piaggi who ran that magazine, and she founded it, actually. and. Uh, I started working with them. Um, I stayed there for close to two years, and I literally became a fashion editor. So, so talk me through then the, the kind of skills you added to your toolbox. I think I learned and added a lot to do with what designer meant, you know, um, designer clothing versus what I do as contemporary, what quality meant, how stitching, how sewing, uh, the importance of quality. And a lot of that was learned just by working as an editor. You kind of are, you're introduced to all these brands. You're introduced, you're always pulling in, you know, if it's Dior, Armani, or whomever it is, um, it was higher level designer, which was primarily what they would shoot. I think at that point, I start to see, wow, this is cool. These are amazing clothing, clothes. These are beautifully made. Um, this is the difference between, you know, a Hanes t-shirt and not a Hanes t-shirt or whatever the piece of clothing was. And it did teach me because I was very vulnerable. And like I said, when I came to New York, even I was like a sponge. I would pick up what's going on and what the street style was and what looks look good and how I could put together. I did the same with magazines. I was like a sponge picking up all these different qualities of either the clothing or the way people reacted to designer clothing or how to make designer clothing look cool. Um, and, and as an editor, it was valuable. Was there a certain uh, cover or a certain capsule or a certain shoot that still sticks with you? Two of the most prominent ones that sort of stick out in my mind, one with Madonna when she was doing the sex book. That would be was, a moment. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And we did her in, you know, some sort of, well, it was black leather underwear and there was she was pinned up against a dartboard. Uh, that was great in Fair Fawcett. We did her for Women We Love, which was another one of these Esquire things we did. You were at Esquire. Where do we go from there? When I left Esquire, actually, it was because after doing all these cover stories and people, the one thing I kept hearing from a lot of them, men and women, was, you know, I like to be dressed in, you know, I'd love just to wear a normal T-shirt or mm -hmm. I'd love to wear sort of great pair of fitting, great fitting chino. Or if it was a guy, you know, oh, I'm pretty casual. I love fleece jackets. But... None of them fit properly. Mm -hmm. And that 
was a reoccurring statement that I kept hearing fit on basics. Yeah. And this was in 96, I think. And there was no such thing as like, you know, a great fitting Chino, to be quite honest. You know, the Gap made bad Chinos, the Banana Republic. All the basic people that one would go to for things like that, the arms were like lamb chops, <laughs> or the legs were really wide, or, you know, it was a really bad fit. Even t-shirts were not comfortable. So I remember thinking, this is really crazy. Why can't you get these things? Like, why do why you can't think I that was? I think it was the times. I think at this, you know, very quickly, I'd say within the five-year period from then, everyone did start making a great-fitting chino and a great-fitting t-shirt and a great-fitting fleece jacket, you know, these basics, so to speak. But there wasn't anything out there. It was about pioneering that whole movement. Mm -hmm. um, and it was 96. And I think I launched a collection called Nova USA. And Nova, we launched it. We had a store. I had one in Miami. It was a real sort of back to basics, but with great fits. Mm -hmm. And it was very popular by someone like you know, Cameron Diaz used to come in. And then there was Gwyneth Paltrow and Madonna was wearing it. So we kind of right off the bat started to get this like great reputation. Me not knowing anything about business was the downfall. CFDA at that point nominated for the designer of the year. And, Which is you know, big. Yeah, it was really interesting and big and good and bad. I had worked for people always mm -hmm. and working for myself and I have one partner who was also based in Miami and he was young just at that point we were both young so we kind of just didn't have the business sense mm -hmm. and the knowledge of how to kind of make things happen properly. What do you wish you knew then? I would say two things. One, that I was more business savvy but that's something I grew into and then two, that I probably chose a partner that was more business savvy because I always think the kind of partnerships are what it's all about mm -hmm. you know I to this day because I'm a business partner with ATM and his whole back end is what makes ATM run you know I don't have to think about that but unfortunately I think what happens also and to this day still happens is a lot of hype creates popularity and then a lot of people kind of don't know where to go with that because they don't understand all the aspects of how to run a business. Right. So Scaling is hard. Yeah. People in our business tend to promote, oh, this is the next best thing, so let's make it popular. I, as a magazine editor, sort of was guilty of that because you're always looking for the next best thing. On the downside, I think, as a young designer, you're not always equipped to mm -hmm. do what is needed to make it the next best thing and make it last. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as nice as it is to get all this recognition, without structure, usually you don't last. There is kind of this interesting dichotomy that you probably saw between cool and popular. How did you kind of grasp that idea? Is it unique or is it mass? Trends to me don't last. So trends are not necessarily, they could be cool, but they're not going to last. So I don't really go after the trend. I go after something that might be somewhat cool. I want it to be relevant, but I don't want it to be a trend. So, you know, me fitting a pair of chinos or me fitting a t-shirt with the right drape and, and, you know, things like that are, and it's white, black, and gray. And if you want a fashion color, you can get it, but these mm -hmm. t-shirts aren't going on sale. That to me is cool because the fit, the feel, the person that wants this quality gets it, but it's still relevant 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. So my concept has always been to more or less try and stick with things that were cool, that were relevant, I'll say. Because mm -hmm. that's maybe from relevant and interesting, cool, you know, in that world, but not a trend. Did that start, did that idea really start at Nova? Yeah, it did. It was really more specific then too, and that's probably also another downfall. 
it was always black, white, and gray. You know, you do need to introduce colors. Mm -hmm. You do need to introduce things, especially if you deal with the wholesale market, which is department stores. Or right. you know, the rounding off of a collection needs more than three colors mm -hmm. and two fits. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So with Nova, yes, I mean it did put me on the map in a lot of interesting ways between the magazines and then doing Nova and then being part of the CFDA and you know just being part of the fashion business. Um, I was also much more. I wouldn't even say ambition, but I had this drive to be around. And that was kind of what sort of made things move for me at that age and throughout the 90s all the way into the 2000s. And it established me. It gave me the ability to sort of have a reputation in the fashion business, no matter if I was doing nothing or if I was doing ATM or if I was styling a shoot or people in the business knew the name. So the whole process, all the steps, being nominated, being a disaster at business, getting back on my feet, doing things in between that, uh, and then getting back on my feet again, all those things kind of added up to where I am now. Let's take a quick break from my chat with ATM Anthony Thomas Malilo founder, Tony Malilo. I want to remind you that like every Finding Inspo episode, this one is also shoppable. Tony and I have curated items from our conversation and a few others that are inspiring us lately for the special Finding Inspo store on Vera Shop. Next to each product, we'll also tell you why we're loving it. There are a couple in particular that have already become staples in my wardrobe. And guys, Tony's got you hooked up too. You can find it at verashop.com slash inspo. And just for finding inspo listeners, new Verashop customers can take 20% off their first purchase with the code INSPOATM. That's one word, INSPOATM. Tony's background gave him that designer fashion sensitivity. Next, we'll talk about how his current company, his legacy company, came to be. There's a partnership with a pop star, a now famous tattoo, and a life-size black box. What is your biggest motivator to get back on your feet? Because not everyone does. I've always had a very strong mindset, and I know not everyone does, so I never accepted no. So my from day one, when I went to Italy to work at Condé Nast, it was like, mm, you don't speak Italian, why am I going to hire you? <laughs> or you don't, you know, no, no, no. I literally would sit in their offices, like I think for two months in a row, waiting to meet the right person, the editor-in-chief, to make sure that I got the position. It's determination. I mean, and I think I've had that in my gene forever. And that has allowed me to kind of keep going. Then there's also, once you know, that sort of crazy determination sort of wore down a little and I got a little more jaded and understood what was going on in the world, I started to just understand that you have to survive. Mm -hmm. And I would realize, you know what, I'm going to do this and this and this because I'm going to survive. And then I realized that, you know what, I want to not only survive, but I want to really do things that, I'll be very honest, make money. And I want to learn from my mistakes and not sort of have to take another step backwards. So we launched a company, which was in 2008, and it was called, it was a partner and I, she's now the CEO of uh, Diane Valfersberg, uh, but we had a partnership for six years where we developed lines for celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point we did a few, but the most successful and very successful out of them was one for Selena Gomez, and that became... Um, 
quite a huge business. We created a line that was called Dream Out Loud by Selena Gomez. Mm -hmm. We owned the license. She um, was paid a royalty. She worked with us very closely, but we designed a collection for Kmart, Mm -hmm. which was a mass distributor. It was 2008. It was a horrible year. There was like bad news coming from everywhere. Yeah, Um, recession. Yeah, recession. What my partner and I thought, business partner and I thought was, you know what, if anyone's buying, they're buying for their kids. Uh, to go back to school or whatever. So when we decided to do something for for Selena, it was we said to ourselves, who is the who can we bet on in this market? You know, who's the tween that's really bettable? We did launch a brand for her that lasted till she was twenty one. So it was six years. And that sounds like some business savvy from yeah. your seat. Certain things I learned and I take to the table to this day is these things about called up table items. Mm-hmm. You know, Selena when we did her line, we had a full-on collection. I mean, it was in stores of in Kmart stores. We probably took up fifteen hundred square feet. We had everything from hair pieces, wow. to, meaning like hair accessories to cold weather accessories to sleeping bags. We did everything for her jewelry. The biggest selling thing were these table items, which were basically tanks in ten colors. So hmm. it was a tank top mm-hmm. in ten colors. And I always kind of to this day, even when I launched ATM, I thought, you know, what is that item? Yeah. That works really well and people are going to always buy it and always buy it and always buy it. And that kind of brought me to, because I started ATM two before I finished Selena, and I developed ATM thinking to myself, what is it that I could do that I really love that brings me back into the more designer mm-hmm. world, but it's an item. Because mm-hmm. I saw the success in mass and I thought, and I really realized that we could sell you know, everything. Mm-hmm. But what made us the, doll, the money was these four ninety nine t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know. So when I did ATM, I thought, what is that item that I want? First of all, I thought, I want to name it ATM because I've never used the name. And it's a cool name and it's kind of catchy and how can I do something And it's your name. And it's my name, <laughs> but it's kind of there, but it's not out there, you know. Um, so that was one. And then I thought, what are the items that I want to do? Because I didn't want to do a full collection. So when I launched ATM, it was solely t-shirts. And that really and a very few number yeah. of styles of t-shirts. What was it? Three? Yeah, it was three styles, four colors, three fabrics. And that was because of that. I said to myself, I'm not gonna spread myself too thin here. T-shirts sell. Let's just stick with them. But these weren't any old t-shirts. What was the development process like to pull together a contemporary, nodding to designer level t-shirt? T-shirt. I mean, my thought was, listen, there's a lot of t-shirt people out there, especially when we launched, it was 2012. It took nine months to develop, but the process started with what is the white space? Where is the white space that we can fit into? I like James Purse, he does great stuff. These are people that are still around, but they're maybe not all in our market anymore. I like Vince, Vince is doing great things, but we don't need to be Vince, we don't need to be James, so we're not gonna make our t-shirts look like a box. We (laughs) wanna have a little bit more sex appeal. We don't want to be Vince, so our quality is going to be a little better. It's going to be a little bit more expensive for that T-shirt. I thought, if I'm going to do a T-shirt and I get thrown on a table in Bloomingdale's or in even Barney's, no one's going to pay attention to it. So I'm going to launch this very sort of curated collection of T-shirts, but I want to do it with someone that can understand what I'm doing. So I went to Barney's, and at that point, Mark Lee was the um, CEO. We had lunch. I had known him for years. And I said, I'm thinking to do this thing with t-shirts. I know I'm still doing Selena, but I'm kind of interested in Michi to get back into the business, <laughs> you know. And he's like, well, we definitely want the first right of refusal, whatever you want to call that. Um, and I had said, great, fine. So that kind of got me moving. 
So I then did the process. I went to Peru. I started developing some cottons. I started to see what I could do. And I once again looked at the spaces and where I wanted to sit. And I said, our DNA should be fit and feel and relaxed elegance. Mm -hmm. So if I stick with that, I think we have a place in the market that's not going to be X, Y, or Z. And now what I need to do is get it off the ground in a way that's going to feel like a collection, even though I'm just making t-shirts. Yeah. So my thought was, how do I get someone into this three styles, four colors, three fabrics, and make them present it in a way that looks so beautiful that people come and buy into it like a lifestyle? And I knew Barney's would be able to do that. And especially under Mark's leadership, because he was very interested in being innovative, bringing things in, and really supporting them. Cut to, I developed these t-shirts. I did them in black, white, gray, and green, and I had this concept that it was ATM. So I always, knowing that people were referring to ATM as a machine and this and that, I thought, you know, what kind of presentation can I make? How can I make this exciting for them? We created this black box, basically. Mm -hmm. And the black box was my sort of interpretation of an ATM machine, uh -huh. so to speak. And inside the black box were these beautiful hangers, but all black, white, and gray t-shirts in the three different fabrics, and men's and women's. And I invited Mark, and he came with you know, his whole team, women's, men's. They came, I did this presentation with them. I said, you know, listen, these are the things I want. I don't need to do this 100%, but I'd love to do it. And if I do it, I need hangers, I need a space, I need a presentation at least for a month in LA and New York that's going to show that this is more than just a t-shirt thrown on mm -hmm. a table. I don't want to be on a rack in the middle of the, the floor. I want like this. You see what this looks like, take pictures, mm -hmm. whatever, see if you can create it. If, if you guys can do that, I'd love to kind of be in your store. He said, let us, can you go over there? I'm like, that's my <laughs> office, but all right, I'll go over there. And then like 10 minutes later, we all convened. Yes, we'd love to do this. We're going to do this, this, this. We need two year exclusive. And we will give you a space that we use for different things certain times of the year. And they would reinterpret my sort of black box concept on that space. And with your ATM, with your black box, what story were you trying to tell in that moment? Um, I just felt like it was a good backdrop. I didn't know if everyone, I mean, first of all, when you look at something like ATM, you're thinking, all right, ATM, the first thing that at that point especially came to your mind was a bank, you know? So like I said, my thought was it's a black box. It's not a black box that's an ATM machine, but it's a black box that's full of t-shirts. Mm -hmm. So their translation was more like a maze of black boxes and in them were different sort of silhouettes and different mannequins and mm -hmm. presentation that sort of represented the t-shirts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I knew no one else would do that. Uh -huh. You know, that's just not gonna happen. Through the partnership with Barney's, they would come in each season and they would kind of push me a little more and more and more. And they would finally, not finally, but first it was cashmere sweaters. And then it was, can I, you know, what about sweatpants? What about sweatsuits? This and that, this and that. So eventually ATM turned into a full lifestyle collection. And how do you think about what to go to next? You, you said you took nine months to kind of pull together those first three t-shirts. What do you pick to move into next? We now have kind of uh, expanded enough that we have hit all the categories, so mm -hmm. there's no real, we can develop them bigger, mm -hmm. which we are doing, but we're in, you know, we do some outerwear, we do the skirts, we do the dresses, we do the t-shirts, we do the sweaters, 
do they all, you know, to me, have the vibe of this lifestyle? Yes. And that's kind of the key for me. And we're sitting right now in your showroom. You're in market right now. I can feel it's cohesive. Having the core product, right? It is a t-shirt, but there is more now. How do you think about not designing for trend, but also staying fashion forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for me, I wouldn't say isolated myself, but I've totally become a workaholic and I'm very attached to my family. So my out is going and seeing what real people are doing. I'm actually in restaurants that are, you know, in Florida or LA or New York or wherever they are that the real people are in. Mm -hmm. And they're fancy restaurants, but they're the way women are wearing clothes. And I'm grabbing little pieces here Mm -hmm. and there. And I'm trying to put things together to make it as useful as possible without being a trend. I always think if you have to think too much about putting that piece of clothing on, then it doesn't belong in our collection. You know, and when I do these clinics, I always say, we're like the, the, the spot on the floor in a Neiman's or somewhere where people can almost take a deep breath and go, oh, because around you, there's a lot going on. We try and put the ease into dressing. So if you take something of ours, you should be able to put it on and it should work with a lot of different things. And that's kind of my philosophy. I don't want to make anything too tricky. So therefore, maybe it's not too trendy. And therefore, hopefully it's able to work and stay in your wardrobe. And therefore, hopefully you'll come back and buy more. Which I think speaks to the resilience of good design. We build the clothes from the inside out. So I always say, you know, our garments are sort of, you don't have to think about it, but we think about it a lot. And it's especially important when you're making things I don't say everything is so simple, but simple garments, you know what I mean? If it's very, if it's, you know, something that doesn't have a print on it, or if it's something that's just one piece like this, if it doesn't fit right, you're screwed. I sit next to our, our home buyer at Verishop, and she has a really great sense for what types of materials are best sourced where. I've heard so much about Peruvian cotton, and you all use a lot of Peruvian cotton in your in your textiles as well. And that was kind of where you went first, right? Uh, well, we started with Peru for the cottons, particularly, because cotton in Peru is just um, it's a nicer quality. The water's harder. It's a, a few different things that go into it, but the water's harder, so it makes the cotton softer when you when you're weaving it. Strange things like that. <laughs> um, also, so that was really. I knew that it was either going to be Japan, which would bring the price point up, or Peru. So it mm-hmm. was about going to Peru and developing our cottons. Then it was about how do I make this particular slub the best slub for what we're trying to do. I didn't want it to see-through, but I wanted it to have some sex appeal. I wanted it to have a drape. I didn't want it to be a box. So we developed into our concept with whatever the weights have to be, um, and then obviously the textures and the feels in terms of fabrics. Uh, I just pretty much look for where I'm able to get that best quality for the price point that we need. Well, taking a step back and looking at the industry at large, we are in kind of this interesting moment in the fashion world where every all of these ideas of inspiration are kind of congealing on social. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're having celebrities, influencers. Uh, there's so many different people that you could perhaps be borrowing style cues from. When you are a designer, how do you think about that whole world and, and kind of the increasing pace of new developments in terms of what's cool and what's not? A lot of my inspiration comes from the internet, which I think is amazing. I mean, because my personal Instagram, for instance, I follow tons of people in 
architecture and in furniture design and just people that I think look good. I don't necessarily even know who they are. We don't gift that many people. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. So we don't use a lot of influencers. And I don't think it's right or wrong. We just don't do that. We have this organic growth and we've kind of not really had to. And once again, I, I think those things will change once we develop our kind of social and these sort of online channels. But as of now, it's nice that I can go online and see Dakota Johnson wearing the t-shirts that I know she's buying because mm -hmm. I'm not giving her. <laughs> you know, I spot them because there are immediately things I can tell because if it's a slit on the side, you know. So I love to be able to just get online just to really, those are my guilty pleasures are getting online before Max, my son, wakes up uh -huh. and literally looking through Instagram. And then the end of the day, I do the same. So I try and catch up before I go to bed. Because mm -hmm. I can find if it's a table or if it's a shirt or if it's something, I can always find some sort of inspiration. You have, you said, somebody else called you out for Hustle and Jump a little mm -hmm. bit. This does seem like it's more of a legacy project because your name is on it. Right. How do you think about that? Uh, I, it's very seriously, actually. I do think it's interesting. You know, when you put your name on something, um, even if it's my initials and the name underneath, it is my name, and I take it very seriously. I mean, I think it's also very nice that it's personal. I think it's also a very, it's an advantage in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at the, I mean, I'll look at the contemporary market, there's like a theory, and there's a rag and bone, and there's a Vince, and there, these aren't people, they're just names. When I make the t-shirts, I know I put the little ATM under the mm -hmm. arm so people can see it. It's very faint, but you see it. You know, so there's a very sort of personal side to it that really um, makes it feel comfortable, in not only the fabrics, but in the way that it's, it's me. Mm -hmm. Well, and you have... And I have the tattoo, the which tattoo. I got when I was 17. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's all part of it. You know, it's in the same place as my tattoo. It's a personal thing with your name. You know, I think it is something that I hope to continue on and on and on and on and on with or without me. I don't think these things are going out of style. You know, I think it's something that can last. That's another important thing. We have customers. It's not that it's such a huge mailing list, but those people are shopping every week mm -hmm. and they're buying multiples. And it's kind of nice to know that you've created something that people are not just taking once and then going away. So mm -hmm. I hope to continue that as a legacy as well. And there has been a surge of the casual culture, not only in, in everyday life, but also Goldman Sachs gets rid of their business dress code you know how have things like that affected your business great I mean it's amazing I personally like to mix so yeah. for us it's about you know if I'm wearing these Dior sneakers I can throw on my ATM pants and t-shirt and I feel dressed up you know so I think it's a great new kind of it's great not that it's a new concept but it's new in the working world mm -hmm. um, and I love it I think people are more and more understanding how to do it and that even makes it better yep and I think that understanding is huge because I do think that there is a bit of visceral fear sometimes when mm -hmm. somebody says your uniform is not the uniform anymore mm -hmm. again especially uh, the male market uh, mm -hmm. you're no longer in a suit and tie it's like well what do I do mm -hmm. um, how, how do you what kind of suggestions would you give to somebody to make sure that they are pairing things right so they do look good I mean start slow you kind of could get those people pieces that are safe, but they just happen to have great fits and they happen to maybe look good on or the cut's perfect or whatever. And as long as you're buying things that are good quality, it's a, it's what's more beautiful than a beautiful white t-shirt or, you know, a great pair of chinos or, you know, uh, in a woman's world, a great pair of silk pants or silk joggers um, and a great cashmere sweater or a great cashmere wrap. You know, that I think is a good way to start it off at least. We make clothes that are 
you can wear them in different environments and climates. You know what I mean? I travel a lot. So the last thing I need is a 10-ply cashmere sweater. Mm -hmm. But I do need a cashmere sweater. Mm -hmm. And I might want it in gray, and I might want it in a pretty color. You know, so I think making sure that there's enough variety in, you know, what you do, but also giving the customer something that is, it travels, you know, I mean, it can travel well, you know, and that's really a key. You know, I always say you can take four pieces, you know, six pieces of clothing, throw it in a bag and you'll be good for three days, you know, from ATM. Yep. Because if you have a good pair of shoes, if you have a great sweater, you have two great t-shirts, you have a pair of chinos and maybe one outerwear piece, you know, and then you're done. You want people to feel at ease yeah. and feel like they have the confidence to do these things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the important part about how we think when we make these clothes. So it's not hard. I always say it. It's not difficult to put six pieces of clothing in a bag. It's not difficult to shop a rack of ATM at a department store or a store. It shouldn't be difficult. And that's the thing that we give that customer. That goes back to when I said, oh, they come to the rack and they can sort of take a breath and like relax. Well, the best clothes are the ones you feel comfortable and confident, comfortable. Yeah, comfortable <laughs> and confident. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Comfortable, confidence come from comfortable. I mean, that's very much, like I said, that concept of building it inside out. So if it's built inside out, if it's built properly inside, and that I learned from, so it goes back, 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 back. Mm -hmm. From designer, you learn that designer clothes are made well mm -hmm. most of the time. So if you can give that quality to this price point, then that's pretty amazing. Comfortable confidence. That really is the epitome of how you feel in Tony's garments, with their mix of high-end construction and easy wearability. ATM has this v-neck bodysuit. It's literally the only one that's ever worked for me, and I can wear it with a bra. I love it in black. I'll wear it relaxed with a pair of high-waisted jeans or dress it up under a blazer. It also happens to be one of Tony's picks for the Finding Inspo store. And guys, we haven't forgotten about you. One of my favorite from his selection is the super soft, relaxed polo. See those and more of Tony's creations at vershop.com inspo. And first-time Vershop customers get 20% off with the code INSPOATM. I'd truly appreciate it if you'd subscribe and review the podcast. It'll help new listeners find us, and that's so important, especially since we're brand new. And I've been beyond thrilled to see the feedback from the first two episodes with Indy Lee and Andrew Cinnamon. MM Wagner 17 commented on Instagram, that was a great way to start my morning, feeling very inspired. And in a review on Apple Podcasts, Wolverines 2019 said, You got my attention. Very excited to hear more from successful entrepreneurs regarding how they find success and inspiration. If you found inspo from this episode with Tony, I would love to hear about it. You can reach me on Instagram and Twitter at Alex Barenka or at Inspo Podcast, and I'm also checking out those podcast reviews. This podcast was produced by me, Alex Barenka, with production and editing support from Wonder Media Network. Thank you so much for listening and see you soon.